Sound Design Live. On April 18th, I spoke with Aaron Meicht and Daniel Baker, known collectively as Broken Chord. After seeing their work for the Pulitzer Prize-winning play Ruined at Berkeley Rep by Lynn Nottage. Sound Design Live. But I am still curious about uh, how you know Liesl and how you guys got the job. Yeah, sure. Um, oh, I met Liesl uh, working on a play called The Good Negro at the Public Theater in, um, here in New York. Um, the set designer for Ruined, Clint Ramos, did the, is a longtime collaborator of hers. And I worked with him here in New York. And then when Liesl um, uh, directed The Good Negro, Clint introduced us. And then she hired me to uh to do the good negro uh and this was before daniel and i started working together right mm-hmm. well we had been working together but it was before we started exclusively doing everything as broken cord mm-hmm. yeah, in the, the workshop things um, oh maybe not no. okay. uh so anyway yeah so i met through we met through the through the set designer and uh did that production of good negro which aaron was did come and do some stuff on uh and then yeah, we had a great time. We did that at the public, and we did that at Dallas Theater Center. And when she got the gig at uh, Organ Shakes, and then we did the Eclipse next. Oh yeah, then we did. That a, was the first one where I wrote music and. Uh, or, uh, I think Oregon happened before Eclipse. Uh-huh. No. Um, yeah. So then, then when when um, she got the gig in Oregon. She called and was like, you know, I don't want to use this music from New York. Um, and, uh, you know, can you guys, can you guys uh, work with me? And you yes. said Congolese music, we specialize in that. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, <laughs> that's right. That's, yeah. what, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> I don't think that we get hired because we are the guys who make, you know, African music or, sure. you know, or, you know, piano music for theater. We yeah. kind of try to do whatever the, you know. The Hopefully our goal is to always just, you know, do the music that's appropriate for the text. And and that is the also the fun challenge for us is is having to immerse ourselves in something like Congolese music that, yeah, we did a play about Liberia and we knew some of that and, and we've personally been interested in, um, you know, music from all over the world for a long time. But, we, we, but when you get the chance to work on a play that is that specific, um, you can really dive into music, a specific kind of music, in a way that you haven't done before. And that's the fun part for me especially is kind of learning about something that I didn't know. Yeah, so in a way your your ears are actually more more fresh and so you might notice those um, the unique details about the music that make it what it is more than if you you had grown up with it or something. Yeah, maybe. You know, Liesl, Liesl is, is South African, so she's from the continent and mm-hmm. she trusted us based on, you know, work we'd done before and then we trust her to not, you know, let us be idiots and make <laughs> music because that's you know she's she she's a really good uh um collaborator in that way she's not going to let us go 
yeah. terribly wrong. Oh, cool. And she trusted that we could deliver. She knew we would do our research. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. She's, she was very, especially in this play, she, w- she was very interested in the authenticity, but not losing what it is about a piece of theater that is that doesn't need to be a documentary, you know? Mm-hmm. So we we kind of had fun with that. Some of the pieces they're complete they 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 start from a completely authentic place with the research, but then we we do theatricalize the music in a way that would not be, you know authentic. Authentic, but because of where it started, it actually it actually works, I think. Nice. So. Yeah, well, I mean there's the whole aspect of this is based on a Brecht piece. So you kind of have license to mm-hmm. to uh, get meta theatrical. Nice. Well, I have um, a couple more specific things I want to ask about working on Ruined, but let me mm-hmm. take a break from that actually and go backwards and ask if you could just both talk a little bit about how you got into audio and how you got into theater mm-hmm. and dance, um, and then ended up in New York working together. Mm-hmm. And then um, also, I don't, Daniel, where are you from in Texas? Uh, Northeast Texas, Texarkana, Texas. Okay, I'm from south of Austin in a tiny village called Smithville. All right, cool, man. That's a long, we're, we're a long ways apart, huh? That's right. From that. Texas is so big. I started as um, my life as a musician. Um, I'm a trumpet player, and that's how I started and what I went to school for and everything like that. And I lived in, uh, Philly and played, did a lot of music there. Didn't do theater um, until uh, about 10 or 12 years ago or something when um, I did a production that had live music. So I was kind of brought in to do, I wasn't doing sound design really. It was, I didn't even really know what that was. But um, so, yeah, so that was my, my background is, is that I also studied in Europe uh, computer music and composition. So I, yeah, that was, that's my base. But then I, I really, I always enjoyed theater. I like my music itself was also semi-theatrical in a way. Um, mm-hmm. I did a lot of movement and, and things even early on. And so I was always sensitive to and, and with an interest in, very interested in opera and things like that. So, um, so it seemed like a good fit. And, and then, I, then I started getting a few jobs as a sound designer, uh, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> but most of them, I would say actually all of them, were, were really jobs that in, included composition. So I, that's, that was my primary interest, was making original music for a production. Um, so then... I moved to New York and was, you know, doing whatever. And we have a, a director friend of ours who knew both of us separately and, and said she wanted me to write music for a production and Daniel to do the sound design because she actually also thought that we would hit it off. And uh, we did. <laughs> and then that's how we started on one show. And then over the next... do this again. Yeah, and then over the next year, I would say, we kind of, we worked together regularly, but still with a um, a larger idea about what the collaboration could be and like a collective of people could be. And then, um, so about a year in, that's when we started doing only shows together. Yeah. 
So that's cool. that. Uh, what about you, Daniel? Uh, yeah, I got a. I went to the University of Arkansas uh, for theater, so I have a BA in theater. And uh, what gave you that idea? Did you have theater in school or something in high school? In high school, yeah, there was a couple couple of. I was in a couple of musicals. You know how high school theater is, and I really enjoyed that. I grew up in going to church. Uh, in Baptist church and my grandmother paid, played the piano and my mom was always in choir so I was always in the church choirs so I had an interest in in, in singing uh, and then you know had the opportunity in high school to do a couple of plays and um, and actually went did a year of community college in Texarkana where the crowd that I fell into was just the, the freaky theater kids in that <laughs> small town that had not left yet you know, so that's a very specific kind of like I just found that it's where I was hanging and all the in the community theater people, um, all the uh, the older people were kind of like turned out to be like actual. I never met cool people in my hometown before, but it was like sort of, you know, it's like, OK, this, this is this is a way I can be here in this town for another year and not kill myself. <laughs> and so I did another couple of musicals there at the community college. And uh, and then went to uh, to the University of Arkansas, studied theater, got a BA in theater. Um, about three years in, I quit school and took a big long break. Did various things, and when I came back, I didn't. I knew I didn't want to act. At that time, I was sort of the same age as the MFA students. Uh, they didn't have an MFA in sound design, so there was this need for sound designer, uh, and I I I sound designed Macbeth and it was just like really cool and I got my first computer that was like the year 2000 I'd never owned really owned a computer before I got a computer that had SoundForge it was like oh I can I can bring music into this thing and rip it and do you know it, just, it was all completely completely new so I made a score for uh, sound design a score for uh, Macbeth mm-hmm. and it was really cool and folks were like oh wow that's kind of cool and nice you can go to grad school for that. So I put a portfolio together and, and shopped that around at USITT and met with, you know, the, the seven sound design schools that were there uh, and and got some offers to go to to study sound design. You know, I did three years of a MFA at the Yale School of Drama. What happens in an MFA program for sound design? You're taking... There's a lot of different kinds of classes from, you know, theater history to set design to the specific audio, uh, audio things. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's a place where you kind of learn, you're, you know, you're a jack of all trades um, and a master of none, as you know, as that dumb uh, cliche goes. But you, you sort of have to learn how to, um, how to look at a play and... Um, I don't figure out what it needs uh, sound design wise. So, I mean, that, that entails dramaturgy that entails, okay, if we're going to uh, have original music then you know, what's the instrumentation going to be? Uh, we need to get these, we, someone needs to write that music. We need to get that, those musicians into a studio and record that music. Okay. We need to play that music back in the theater. We need to design a sound system to deliver that music um we have to have a way to organize our thoughts uh and you know create 
a cue sheet for the stage manager. I mean, it's just really all these practical things that that one has to do to get sound um, into a into a production. So you you were really learning about all of the global elements to create a production. You're not just having like class after class of sound design and, and doing that kind of thing. You um, you're learning about everybody else's job and how they all fit together, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, and also just learning. I knew knew you know. I didn't know what an aux send was when I went to grad school. You know? <laughs> like, like literally learning how a mixer works, you know, uh, you know, all those sort of technical, technical things. Yeah. You know, but Yale's not really like a, it's not an engineering school. It's not like if you go to the, get an MFA at Purdue where you would really learn how to engineer, create a playback system for, you know, reinforcing musicals. That just wasn't where my interest was or, or you know, wasn't where my my strengths were really my strengths were like analyzing a script and getting a sort of feel and a vibe for it, and being able to figure out the the right kind of music um, to uh, the right kind of way to approach it, approach the sound design musically, you know, globally, because you know to treat all the every aspect of the sound as music, um, and so that's what Yale seemed best suited. To, to being able to develop those skills and along the way learning, you know, everything I needed to, to do to to make and record those sounds and then creating a system to play it back in. Well, maybe I'll get back into talking about Ruined now. Uh, I wanted to see how the collaboration works. It looks like on most of the productions, Aaron is doing the composition and Daniel is doing the sound design. So what does that mean, for example, on Ruined? How did you split up the duties and work together? Well, and that's that's also a little misleading, too. You know, we... It, I think at first it was that separate. Um, but one of the things that's been really great is that uh, we've... Um, it's become a real collaboration in all of the elements that Daniel's been talking about. Um, that get all of the things that go into sound design uh or create making sound and music for a show um yeah i generate composed material i compose material usually like the foundations of that but we've had shows where um a lot of the the raw material that we record and then i compose is then taken by daniel and um put into the show in such a way that I would call it actually composition as well mm -hmm. because he's editing things in a specific way or deciding what line, you know, is being used here uh, at this point in the, in the show. So it, it, and, and the thing for me is that I develop a real trust in him. So I don't feel any kind of ownership over the music anymore. It's not like, Oh, this is the way I compose it. And this is how it has to be. I mean, I, I use my skills to give us material to use, and then I, I know that um, if he's on a show, then by himself without me there, I know that it's going to sound good. I mean, the, the Snow Falling on Cedars, I never even saw the production. Right. You know, and I, we generated a, a ton of material. Well, it's, a, it's about our, the way that we generate this material. Also, yeah. It's, it's yeah. very modular, and, and, and it, mm -hmm. it just gives us... You know, we never we we rarely, so we don't get hired to do these kinds of shows, but we rarely like record a string quartet 
you know, re- record a piece that's a minute 30 and it's going to get played during a scene change. Um, so, you know, we, we rarely record like ensemble stuff. We, we multi-track a lot of things. Um, for flexibility. For flexibility. Yeah. And then I, I just have all these different pieces that fit together in different ways. I can go in and uh, reconstruct them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not, I'd say on Ruin, that was a more traditional um, composer-designer yeah. uh, yeah. relationship where Aaron... I didn't do any of that. I was I was just responsible for sort of making sure we had a good system, uh, putting together the the band uh, system, basically listening to Aaron and finding out what we needed to have. You know, this is what sound we want to have, um, and then right. putting putting a system together for that, and then showing up and then creating the sound design. Um, because on Ruin specifically, one of the things is because we did live music, I was there a lot more than Daniel was. I went, when we first did it in Oregon, I was there at the very beginning of the rehearsal process, having written the five songs. And I was working very closely with Liesl because then, and the actors and the musicians and everything. So I had a, I had a sense on the ground running of the play before Daniel got there. So in this case, because of that, because I was doing music direction there too, I was just involved more at the beginning of it. And then, and then Daniel came in and then we, and then we worked um, through it together. I mean, some, some shows were not actually there as much together anymore, but it's fun when we are, you know, with this show, we were, we did it. We really did it together in the room, you know, during tech. I was, I was there the whole time. And, and sometimes I don't, go to tech or, you know, or, or shows where I wouldn't be there at that point. Yeah, this one was really great because Aaron was there so much and had such a close dialogue and relationship with the director, and it's not like his job stops at music direction or composer, so I showed up and he's like, you know, here's the sound, here's what you need to do for the sound design. Because well, was, we had some idea. I mean, yeah. we, you know, some of the some of the things that I knew I wanted to try because of how the music was integrated, also led me into some of the things that would be considered more traditional sound design, like the bird calls and 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 the environments. Um, some of the environments, you know, I wanted to look at them in a musical way, and actually having things happen at very specific times, and. Um, which so that of, was that, and then Daniel is able to say, "Okay, well, like, yeah, let's take this idea and run with it." We sort of explored that when we did a I did eclipsed at, at mm-hmm. uh, with with Liesl, and it had jungle environments, and I was already playing mm-hmm. with dividing up a jungle environment into the frequency spectrum. So I would like just I would find uh, different sounds that that represented different spectrums on the the, the frequency spectrum, and and I would have four or five different. Uh, uh, layers, layers that that when we go from one scene to another, we'd still be in jungle sounds, but have a much different uh, aural and emotional impact based on you know what kind of information we were delivering. So you know, if we, you wanted to remove certain frequencies so that dialogue was clear, right. but still give it the sense of that you're in the middle of a lot of sound, you know. Um, so we treated the environment was a score as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So it sounds like there aren't clear lines that separate your responsibilities but um most of the time Aaron is really planting the seed um and starting the material and then most of the time Daniel is maybe the last person to touch it or or is more responsible for making it work in the space 
I don't know if that's totally true. I, I mean, I, I do think that, you know, in this case, the first ball thrown came from me, and I just sent a bunch of YouTube stuff. Yeah, yeah, to exactly. Aaron and, exactly. and Liesel. Yeah, and then they latched on to what they latched on to, and we started making. Yeah, you because know, one thing that's interesting about this uh, production that was different than the New York production that your friend saw were, were these um, these Congolese kind of hip hop or rap pieces, mm-hmm. um, and that came a lot from research and because they were really good. Dans la nuit, au dessus, tous les cris et le feu, tout sourit. Si tu veux, coup de canon et non plus. Des fois, c'est une fête. Des fois, la guerre arrête. Des fois, c'est une fête. Once we knew at the original production, we had a fluent French-speaking actor. Oh, um, he's one of the actors. Okay. Yeah, and he. Uh, so I produced these tracks, um, and then went to him and said, "Hey, do you want to write some raps?" on top of these tracks. And then we uh, recorded him. I just recorded him in the in the little music office at that in Oregon and then mixed the the tracks and and produced it. And they we were happy with how they came out. And it was fun to have total control and know that even these things that are coming out of the radio that sound like they're found things that we made every bit of it is really exciting. It's all original, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I use some, I use some samples in that, just like any other in the rap stuff. In the rap mm-hmm. stuff, um, you know, just like any other hip hop producer sure. uses samples. But um, I haven't seen a whole lot of people do what you guys are doing, um, and I, I know another group of guys actually in Ireland who are just a group of sound engineers, and I, f- from my viewpoint, one of the benefits of a collaboration like the one you guys have with Broken Chord is just managing your schedules. Because, for example, I can only work on one show at a time, but you guys can possibly work on two shows at a time because you don't necessarily both need to be there at all the rehearsals or all the previews. One of the the difficulties has been getting directors on board. Um, We have had some directors that I think don't get what we're doing and have difficulties working the way that we want to work and then we have directors who totally get it mm-hmm. and are and are really supportive of, of it being something that's a little different um it throws theaters for a loop though. theaters get really confused you know institutions yeah. that are used to working in a certain way don't like to work in a new kind of way yeah. so that's uh so we're also training some institutions too like we have a few theaters that always hire us um year after year and they get it and they get what we're doing and they, and they know both of us. And, and, um, uh, but that it is a challenge that takes work for us to, to kind of educate, like you said, an, an institution that's used to doing something a, a way that we don't want to do it. I'm, I'm sure, sure like it's, it's a challenge until they see the results and then you say, see, this works. Well, that's hope, what we hope. hope. So. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we think. And we are looking at it as a years long, uh, process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, if we just, stick it out and either you know one or two things will happen people will get it and we'll have a career or they won't and then we'll, <laughs> we'll do something else <laughs> something else to do. tell me a little bit about your research into congolese music and uh, some of your inspirations for your composition from the script we knew that we were going to be dealing with a guitarist and a percussionist i mean that lynn is specific about that which is kind of an odd and challenging um guideline Mm -hmm. in a way but it meant that we 
we knew we were going to look into Sukus music specifically. Um, and that specific central African Congolese style of, of guitar playing, um, was it, and, and that's also something that Lisa was very interested in. She likes, she, she loves Sukus music. So, so that was good. We, we had a starting place of something that was very specific. Um, and we knew that we were going to, to stick with things that are, that were absolutely Congolese in our research to, to really do that. We had just gotten done doing that show Eclipse, like he was saying, which was in Liberia. So we had this, but, but part of the, the danger, I think, in a lot of people is to say, oh, well, African music is African music. And what, you know, the high life music of Liberia sounds the same as the Sukus music of Congo. And it doesn't matter which one we throw up there because audiences are just going to say it's African music. Um, but that was one of the, that's one of the great things about working with Lisa is that she's so specific and, and being African herself, she knows like, you know, part of her goal is to be specific about that. About the details. Yeah. You know, and so that's great. We, I love that kind of challenge. And so it was really fun to take those elements then and say, these are the elements of Sukhu's music that are really interesting to me. And, um, but at the same time, you know, I'm dealing with lyrics that are in the script that are written by an American. And Lynn is, is writing little poems that are not necessarily the same kinds of rhythmic structures that Congolese words and, and lyrics would be. Mm-hmm. So that gave us the flexibility of saying, okay, well, we're still writing music for a theater production and, and my melodic content can be, it, it doesn't have to be like just copying something from the Congo. Mm-hmm. So I kind of tr- then thought about the Brecht influence that Lynn talked about the, her, the influence on writing that show and saying, and Lisa also talking about theatricalizing some of these things um, so that brought me obviously with Brecht into to thinking about Kurt Weill's music and, and some of Brecht's other musical collaborators. The way that they put melodies together is very particular. Um, and I think that that actually, I have done a lot of work on Brecht before. So I, that's kind of somewhere in my brain. I didn't like actively do that this time, but, but I know it played a, played a role in some of the melodic content, like how, how I structured the melodies. So, but then the fun part about it is the collaboration in OSF. We had two musicians, um, that were down to, to try anything. And, um, the singer was fantastic at OSF and Mm -hmm. she was just, she was really, um, a wonderful collaborator. And, and I went up there with these, these songs and, um, and worked on them and, and, created them with these musicians which was which was great and they had a lot of influence on on how on the direction we went yeah did you have Uh, to make a lot of if you were coming in with songs already before seeing any rehearsals did you have to make a lot of changes once you saw how they actually worked on stage yeah i mean some of the songs didn't some of the songs changed slightly um and then some songs that were like the Hey, Mr. Song, I think I wrote a completely different song and took it into rehearsal and realized this is not right and Liesl didn't like it. And, and then I wrote that one um, just kind of you know, on the fly, like mm-hmm. the night before we were going to do it in rehearsal. Uh, and, you know, and that's part of the that's part of that, you know, what you need to be able to do, too, because the director is like, OK, I want this song to be different and we're doing it tomorrow. <laughs> so 
you don't get to go to some log cabin and compose and and think and everything like that. You got to just you got to you know make it work. Come yeah. in with something. Um, and then we had a great experience with the second production because the musicians were even um, uh, not better. I mean that that's a, they were the the guitarist was more specifically understood better Sukus music, um, and it was more it was easier to get out the ideas that were in my head because I, w- I had somebody who was very familiar with that music. Um, and so the songs actually took a jump there. Uh, and the, some of the arrangements were changed a little bit. And, um, and actually some of the uh, melodic content was changed too. Some of the songs, uh, some of the songs actually changed quite a bit between those two, like Green Mango. Mm. That's, that's completely different mm. the, from the OSF one. Aaron, what kind of stuff are you taking with you when you go on the road and you have to work away from home, away from your studio? Well, I compose generally in uh, in Logic. I use Logic as my main kind of music, high five, you know, thing. And then I I use uh, M Audio Axiom Twenty Five little keyboard uh, MIDI controller, you know, to uh, to generate stuff. Um, uh, what are you talking about? The nano patch is, is in my little home studio. Uh, my oh, my newest thing is a ultra light. Yeah, you know. So yeah, on the road. I mean, I when I go, I will take. I mean, that's the beauty of these, you know, this technology now. You know, taking an ultra light, a little M Audio MIDI controller, a microphone, and I mean, I do all, almost all of the recording on this. Um, I don't even know what it's. It's a, a Audio Technica. Um, AT3035 microphone, which is, I think, only about a, I don't want to say $150 mic, or, um, and I use it all the time for, you know, vocal recordings, for brass recordings, for, you know, so it's simple. It's simple, simple gear. Nice. Uh, I have a yeah. traveler, so sometimes we yeah use that for tracking more than one or two mics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, that's it. You're, you know, I use Finale for music notation. Do you guys have the new version of Logic, and have you tested out this flex editing thing that they have now? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we did. Is, we it, like is that cool, it. or is it dumb? It, well, it's I'll, so cool, dude. A, dude, I'll tell you a this. A monkey can do sound design. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did a show that we recorded a... Uh, like a Dixieland jazz band. So all of the music was recorded at a session by this other sound designer that we sometimes work with. He wrote the music for this one. And then I came in because he... Got a different gig. And yeah, I couldn't do, we handed do it. it or, he, handed, he handed it off. To, he was going to play in that Lincoln Center. Right. That's why it was. So he had got a performing gig. So, so I, I took over the show. Like we, we took it over very early on, but the recording had all been done. Um, and... And I mean, I, I got in there and, and this was a crazy like uh, Emperor's New Clothes like show where there was a lot of physical comedy and all this kind of stuff and it, like all this music and it needs to be, well, I didn't have enough material basically. Um, and I couldn't go back into the studio. And I, my, my one, the one secret one was there was this little <laughs> clarinet and piano melody, this little waltz. And I did it one time at, it was recorded at like, I'm going to say quarter note equals 110 or something like that. And then, or no, it was recorded slower. It was recorded at like quarter note equals 80. And I flex timed it up to to 110. And I 
I could tell. I wouldn't put it on a record, but in a system, in a theater, you you couldn't you couldn't tell that it was not. Uh, it sounded that the quality was great. And I asked a guy who works at this theater who is a sound designer. Um, I asked him if there was anything he noticed about the show, and and then kind of narrowed him into that thing, and he couldn't believe it. He was nice. So, it's a great. It's a super cool tool. It's a. It is a cool tool. Like I said, I mean, the, you can tell if you're listening really carefully. If you have really good monitors or in headphones that are really good, you can tell there are artifacts. Right. But um, especially if you do something like classical music, like like the piano and clarinet, I could tell that. But so that's what I mean by I wouldn't put it like on a record or anything. <clears throat> but when but you're talking it, about getting the job done, it oh man, like... it it was it was oh. crazy. And 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 even stuff like some pop stuff, you actually can't. You can't tell. It reminds me of a track I heard a couple months ago. It sounded just like Sigur Ross. It's actually Justin Bieber, like slowed down eight hundred percent or something. Sounds yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. And are you were you working with a multi-channel system? Were you, did you split up some of those elements into different outputs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had uh, the system we had there. Sort of had the main system that addressed, you know, like the proscenium system, like a left-right-center kind of thing. Uh, that was that was two channels, and that fed the delay zone, and that was just like you know our big sort of look. Uh, and then on stage, we had we actually pared it down. I over designed it, not knowing what we needed, and then was able to sort of pare it down. But in the end, had four sort of beefy speakers on stage, like four UPAs, two off, one off left, one off right. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple upstage, um, the house subs were in the main system. Plus, then I would put a 650p up against the back wall, and that was like called it my you know my nitrous my nitro <laughs> sub when I needed some uh, nice needed a little something extra. And it wasn't really that's not really useful for like music, um, mm-hmm. but it's great for these environments and then a couple of beefy overhead speakers over the stage sort of pointing down and then a surround idea um, so we could get stuff you know anywhere we wanted on stage in the surrounds and then it was fun to play with putting you know we have a 16 channel system um uh it was fun to put those different ideas in different yes yeah, so you had a lot of choices speakers and see what see what added up and then we had a whole other system for the for the band uh, but you know that was just for for reinforcement not for playback so you had a, con- a completely separate system for the band that was on stage that's right yeah because yeah, really it create the idea of these this sound is coming from them in a club but then we wanted to have the ability also then to blow it out into like you know big musical sounding ideas but sure. it started with the rough and ready idea and that sort of reflected in the loudspeakers that we chose to mm-hmm. put on stage uh well i think it worked i i sat in the front row so i didn't have great perspective of what was coming out of the house system but i felt like i was surprised that you chose to put so many things in the on stage system um but then it really worked to obviously for localization i also liked the details of those horns of speakers that are sitting on stage with the musicians, there were probably people who thought that the sound from the band was coming out of those, you know, which is a great effect. They were. <laughs> oh, they were? You actually using those? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, we, were... we found that one of these bands that we, one of these 
piece of research we found this band Kanono number one right uh, they uh, if you look at their YouTube stuff you'll see they're they're playing electrified and beers some of their stuff is like it's like like p like those you know those like just horns on a pole right you know? exactly I we came at that with the idea of like looks cool and also you know if we if you really if you pump start pumping vocals through this you know you're gonna get that presence and that because it's, it's just a horn having out of a full range Altec, you know, old speaker. So, you know, we were only sending 1200 and up to it. <laughs> uh, and so that was my little goose for her voice, you know, so it was all a balance between really brittle piercing. And so with the high one addressed the, the, uh, sort of balcony and the, then the low one kind of addressed the, the orchestra, but not fully. Cause it, you know, like, the math doesn't work out and the, the throw is not big enough, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it was, you know, it, it was, it was there. And then we had a, had a speaker underneath the deck of the band that was like a homemade JBL thing that we found at La Jolla that we used to sort of give warmth to the onstage sound. Right. And, you weren't and, trying to make it sound um, really thin. You weren't trying to make it sound like Kanono number one. No. Uh, like it, as soon as she picks up the mic, you you it's pretty obvious that it sounds good and it's full range and i think by the time we got to the show that you saw it mm-hmm. had been through so many producers who just like just wanted it to sound like a really nice song which is not what we were always going for we we're going for a progression from she's this brittle broken sort of thing and it sort of follows the text mm-hmm. and her sound would change over time you know but that idea we had to go away and it from. might not have been a great idea you know it might have been too but but we didn't we won't know because, <laughs> because we were just asked to make it pretty what are you using for playback qlab in general on the production was there any other um problems that you ran into that you had to solve or uh, any other interesting techniques you came up with for getting the show done yeah. I mean, that's what it's, that's like, it that's, is about that's, 80, that's 80% of the job, right? So your I, answer is everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you go in that from the first production of that, we had, they had a terrible time finding musicians. They had a time finding musicians. That yeah. was the biggest struggle with the first production. Um, they could not find any black people in Oregon. <laughs> and um, They played an instrument. They played an instrument. And uh, so that was a real struggle. I mean, we had to make some serious compromises with the music in that production. And then uh, they did a great job getting musicians for the production that you saw. Um, They really worked hard to get those two guys, uh, Alvin from Boston and Soji, who actually is in Berkeley. Um, Man, you know, it's an interesting question. Like, I'm just thinking, like, should we even talk, say anything negative from something that's going out <laughs> into, the, into the world, but like producers underestimating what it means to that's a have one. two musicians and a singer on stage. Um, uh, like, and, and, and I think that could be a little bit based on from what we've heard about the New York production, which neither one of us saw that the, the music perhaps was, as it's been described to me, just a little more like sort of throwaway moments. And that may that may be an ex- extreme way to describe it, but what Lisa was going for were were, were Brechtian moment, moments where we yeah, big numbers, big where we let that those pieces like be a part of the story. I mean, there's not as it's not obviously a musical in terms of the amount of minutes that that live band is playing, but it's it's significant enough that 
in getting them to understand, oh, well, we need to have, um, we need to put time and manpower and money into this part of the play that they weren't ready to do. They, or they didn't think that they had. Not even know they were, but wasn't they weren't ready to do it. They had not planned. They had not planned to do. It. That's um, what I mean. They weren't um, ready when we got there. They weren't ready to 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 think about it. It was like that was a. It, it felt like we were often saying, "Did you guys read this script? You notice what is going, what is asked for in this?" <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was kind of like a weird wall to kind of hit. Um, all in all, they responded really well. Um, we got what we wanted and what we needed and what the show needed, um, you know, all with good spirits. Although I don't know, you know, we, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, for me, it's like translating this, or for, for both of us, is translating this production across three different spaces with three different. It's not Systems, like we yeah. put a tour system together and. Um, you know, have the same thing in there every time, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, the, the band practice, the, the stuff that the band was reinforced. That, with, that traveled. Traveled, but, you know, had a new. Yeah, and the, and the system at La Jolla is completely different than the one at Berkeley. And yeah. The, and yeah. the speakers are completely different. So you're, you're ending up having to. I managed to get those guys. We, we rented the same console. Um, Which was? Uh, uh, DM2K. But you were sort of at the mercy of. Who who did they have? Who they hire for that season to mix stuff? You mm-hmm. know, it's like we weren't bringing our own A one. You know, we had you know like yeah, and you it really is sort of a show up and, and yeah. And did that? Did you did that work out, or did you have problems with that? Did you have, was there a lot of hand holding? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> did it sound all right? If it sounded all right, then it sounded all right. I mean, we had a good. You know, it would. We had a, it was good at. At La Jolla, he was he was good and he was interested yeah, was in great. helping us. You yeah, know what I mean? the system was system. Berkeley, yeah. The system at Berkeley was the best. It was but like I showed up and was like, all right, that's cool. Like <laughs> out of the box, good. The system at Berkeley was right. Was Huntington you had more trouble. Huntington was, was difficult. Was tough. That's not my forte. Forte is showing up and like you know breaking out the reference mic and <laughs> spectrafu and like doing a bunch of time aligning. You know, mm-hmm. like you sort of you sort of trust the. My first instinct is the first time I work somewhere, I trust that the house folks know what they're doing with their system. With their system, I don't try to go in and reinvent the wheel. I'd rather spend that time and energy um, uh, working on the content. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so you always come up against that. But when you when you translate the same material across three spaces, then it's you know. That's an it's an interesting challenge. Do you know specific things you need to request way ahead of time now to make sure that it gets done correctly? Or I mean, can you think of something specific that you learned? Yeah, mainly on it's it's on me about you know thinking across the, what would work best for the three spaces and and keeping up with really good paperwork and yeah, we're 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 not the greatest at paperwork and. <laughs> As, yeah. And it's by paperwork. I just, I, I mean, you know, the signal, the the, the signal flow, the sch- schematic block diagram, sure. system design, the system design stuff, uh, in which I have a pretty good feel for, big picture wise. But when it gets down to the to the details of that, I just, I'm not great. And uh, we had a, we had a. What I've learned is how to. We had a good assistant who did the paperwork for us and stuff. But now I actually know what to where some things didn't translate or mistakes were made. I know where to look 
for those. Well, what's the most important thing to be sending to those theaters uh, forwarding them information? I I really think it's as simple as like just your output, like where where things are coming in on the board and how they're being routed, Mm -hmm. you know, so that, so that when, especially if you have the same console, so that things are ending up where you think they should end up. You know, what I did was go in, designed a system at La Jolla, went in, started making a bunch of changes as you do when you're, you know, like, Oh, that idea didn't work or it's better if, or I didn't use the board in the best way because I didn't know the particulars about that board. Oh, I actually, actually don't need that on an aux. I can use that on a direct out, and use that aux because I need to be able to, you know, send a certain amount to that mm-hmm. certain thing on stage, which I hadn't thought of before. So make all these changes the first go around and then, and then g- not track that as well as I should have. And then when the, it goes through the assistant to generate the paperwork for the second venue, y- you kind of have some of the changes, but not all of them. And I'm doing archaeology. <laughs> I'm an archaeologist trying to figure, what did we do? Oh, yeah, we're piece of paper that I, I wrote that down on and, you know something where I should have just showed up and everything worked I showed up and I have to like fix my own you know mm-hmm. <laughs> problem my own stupidness right um well what do you guys have coming up that is exciting this year um well we're doing uh Right now, we just started rehearsals for Gem of the Ocean, um, August Wilson play at Hartford Stage. Um, and I was just there this past this weekend because we're doing original music and the actors sing in this one. So this is, uh, this is one of those kind of... There's no live musicians on stage, but the actors all sing. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that going on when we... I just left Steel Magnolias, yep. which is an interesting... At Trinity Rep. ...one to do. Um, is that um, like the movie? It is like the movie, except that it was uh, sort of a wacky director that that we work with who likes to um, do sort of experimental things that that usually work with material that you know. There's certain kinds of material that can handle that. Uh, we we do done long term project with him with the um, uh, John Barton's The Greeks, like this big long you know Greek Greek plays, uh, and it works really well. But then try to apply those same ideas to steal magnolias it's a little tricky i mean the, the only other thing that is that is kind of fun with us is that we have this this real more experimental project that we are have been working on for a couple of years now um that is the most ongoing thing that is uh that's cool it's like an experimental theater piece called ozet mm-hmm. that um I started as a music piece and then it's gotten in a, and we work in collaboration with this writer and actor named Scott Blumenthal. And, um, that stuff is pretty interesting too, because these are, these pieces are becoming real theater pieces, but with an incredible sound element to it. it yeah. It's, um, it's theater because we don't really have directors, right? It's theater. That's uh, sound design, like sound designers doing, yeah. Experimental theater. Yeah, yeah so you have my, to explain uh, this a little bit because when you look at the Ozet site, you see events, music, video, history. Yeah. It just like, and it's hard to tell exactly what it is, what, what you're promoting. Is, no, no, is there a live yeah. show? It, it well, it, it, it's been we've done about nine different shows at up at at this point, um, but and they're all based on this this story, this concept, but they're all telling different parts of the story and in different ways. So. Um, 
but so for example, the last one we did at here, well, the one before that we did at the ontological, we did it in two parts. One, the first part was, um, um, a few actors, a saxophone quartet, trumpet, um, a little banjo, and then, um, a multi-channel system that we set up around the audience and, um, did this kind of weird experimental detective story. Um, and work tasks where the saxophone players had to listen to a spe- specific speaker and play back whatever the synthesizer was telling them to play back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second half of that was a rock show, basically, of these songs, these songbook songs. Yana Danielle, when she was young, Yana heard stories from her sister about the things that boys and girls used to say to each other. Then one day when they were children alone by the lake. Then the last production we did, it, it was more of a theater piece. We did it here, down at, in Soho, and we did a multi-night run of it um, where Scott and I were on stage playing trumpet, guitar, also doing acting and movement kind of things. And then we had a full, uh, we had some live processing and electronics uh, by this composer, Paula Matheson, that I work with sometimes. And... Um, we did three different ways, like with contact mics when we were eating, uh, and then that sound being manipulated and processed. We did, um, we used uh, like basically a sign tone generator that was hooked up. The idea was that it was going to be like uh, you would do like acupuncture or something, and the needles would go in, and then the the electricity of your body would trigger the signal. Uh-huh. But we couldn't pull that off, so we <laughs> um, we kind of faked it, but did it so where we attached wires to ourselves and then and then by connecting the circuit it created a tone um and so then the piece was kind of built around that and then we also used Wii remotes to uh to generate sound that the movement of our arms would generate the uh the sampler and then we did some live music and everything like that and then there was a whole sound design going on the entire time as well but um these pieces are 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 fun because they're really sound heavy. There's a lot of music. There's a lot of sound in this whole Ozat world and all the films that we make and everything and score. So, so that's a, that's a pretty active project that, um, that is ongoing. Well, it sounds um, like Ozat could be a whole other in- interview, a whole other podcast, a whole other <laughs> thing for us to talk about. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of cool details in there and I wish I'd love to see the show, but if people yeah. just as, um, just yeah, to get a taste of it, if people want to go to the site, they should probably go to the music section and listen to those, right? Yeah, I mean, anything on that site is is uh, is good. The OZ.us thing, but um, cool. but yeah, I mean, that's yeah. A, the transmissions are, are new. Are things that Aaron's putting out Regularly. weekly? Yeah, yeah. So just for fun. So we and we're kind of like we're twittering on that too. Like we're exploring all those social mediums. Yeah, it was a pleasure talking yeah. to you. And um, yeah, good luck with this. It's a great, thanks. great idea. I can't wait to hear yeah. it. And, and well, follow. you guys should subscribe on the site, and then you'll find out every week. Great, we will. Awesome, man. Absolutely. Sound design live.
Sound Design Live.